Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe Podcast, where we elevate intellect through conscious dialogue while exploring race, politics, business, and culture. I'm Dr. Daryl L. Jones, and I'm Charles D. Mitchell. DJ, how are you, buddy? Man, I'm good. Um, glad to get this uh, get this day going. It's been fun. Absolutely. So yeah. far, so good. Yeah. So. Uh, we have with us right now Jevin Hodge. Welcome, Jevin. It's a great pleasure to be here. With Welcome, y'all brother Jevin. Yeah. Yeah. Candidate for the United States House of Representatives, representing the 6th District of That's Arizona. Right. That's right. Looking to unseat David Swiker. That's right. All right. That's right. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about that. We're here to make history, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Definitely we get out here and make history. We have a, a unique opportunity here on our hands. First of its kind, first in generation to um, elect leadership here that's going to stand up and fight for everyday Arizonans, right? There's no other way of looking at it out the gates. Um, with that, um, this district here, North Scottsdale, Phoenix, Paradise Valley, um, formerly Arizona 6, the lines actually have been redrawn in the last week. And so the new number is Arizona 1. Um, this district is uh, among the top five most competitive seats in the country. Mm. And so um, we can dive a little bit deeper into that a little bit later. But uh, at the surface level, um, as we head into this election cycle, it's one of the uh, probably one of five or one of seven seats in the country that Biden won in 2020, but is held by a Republican. And so it's uh, it's it's a good opportunity for us to get out there, engage voters, excite them, motivate them, and talk about the issues that matter most. Yeah, we wow. definitely want to jump into all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but first thing I think we should do is just really get into you in terms of like your upbringing, growing up here, native Arizona. That's right. Um, tell us about your childhood oh. growing up. And uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world, for starters. You know, every moment in my childhood has just been, you know, I think about the lessons that are associated with it or the memories. I mean, it's just great. So um, rare. I'm a rare breed, Arizona native, born and raised here. I grew up in Tempe. Um, my mother raised my brother and I by herself, son of a single parent. And when I talk about a bad mamma jamma, this lady is just, you know, she's just hardcore, you know, hardcore. She had both of her kids. She had two kids um, and she was a young woman. Right. And she's raising us um, by herself, learning life. And and, and, and in a way, we grew up together. You know, we all grew up together. And um, my mother, um, she a history maker in her own right. So she's the first black woman elected in the city of Tempe, past president of high school district. She represents about 350,000 people currently running for the Tempe City Council. And come March, she'll be on that council. First black woman on the council. Um, But, you know, there are. core parts of my life that I go back to. Um, And now that I'm older, I realize, you know, I realize what life was like. We grew up in affordable housing, Section 8. You know, my brother and I's home, you know, as I look back on it now, it's crazy to think that we, that's where we grew up. And it was, it was a kingdom to us. We didn't have a car. I rode the bus until I was in high school. Um, and my mother made the rides so enjoyable, telling us stories and reading about us. I, I often talk about Dr. King being my first mentor. And it was because on the bus rides, my mother read to me the first time was Chaos and Community. And so the, the Dr. King that I learned about was that King, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't, I have a dream. It was, I have a dream for jobs and justice mm-hmm. King, you know, and, and it was, that was how we passed time. And as I think about myself as a, a storyteller, and I think about myself as a, uh, just someone who deeply cares about humanity, it comes from my mother and, uh, and just every lesson that she taught and how now, did you know your dad growing up at all? I didn't. No, I didn't know my dad. Br- brief stints, um, and so um, it it, it uh, my, he was there when I was very young, um, and then falling out happened, and then came back around, and the falling out happened, and mm-hmm. I have a little brother, and so um, outside of that, you know, I can count on one hand how many times you know God. I've had a, a real conversation with him. And, you know, everyone. Uh, there's there's a there's a time and place for all of that, but um, he's still alive. Yeah, he's still alive. He's still alive and lives in town. Okay. So still alive, lives in town. You know, um, I actually had an experience where I crossed paths with him as an adult um, recently, um, and it was a it was a, it was an interesting experience. You know, but um, you know, my thing and 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 because of that, and you go back to the childhood, right? Because of that, I strive every day. One of my personal goals in life is to be the man I didn't have in my life, mm-hmm. and I had some remarkable men. I have some remarkable men in my life, I should say, some mentors that I love and admire dearly. My my two uncles. Um, 
my my youngest uncle, um, like I said, my family's timeline is compressed. My youngest uncle is only seven years older than me, mm-hmm. so he's a he's a baby to them and a big brother to me. And then my 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 mom's middle brother um, is is only uh, he's only ten years twelve years older than me, so that's still a big brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have those men that I look up to, I love, admire dearly, and I grew up with. I have my grandfather, and you think about the the, the strongest black man. Right. Everybody has that man in their life. That's my grandfather. Right. A military man. He's a federal service worker, works at the post office, you know, taught me hard work, taught me service, taught me commitment, you know, really showcasing. Um, But this is a young man. Right. This is a young man that became a grandparent at 35, 37 years old. And so he's raising a family and raising his grandchildren at the same time. And so to this day, I call him daddy. You know, that that's my grandfather, though. Um, and so, you know, much deep respect and admiration for, for him. But going back to, you know, the statement I just said previously, I strive every day to be the, the man that I never had. Um, you know, I had taught myself, you know, small things, how to shave. I taught myself, you know, those, uh, you know, a lot of those questions that, you know, you have as a young boy, either I'm going to my mama or I'm trying to figure out by myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one, one side story. I'll tell you one side story. When I was in college at GW, DC, and I know we'll yeah, get into yeah, that later. Go, I, um, I had a, a moment where I realized my, my place, right. And how you can, no matter what you're doing, you can always have an imprint on your life. My mother always says, your fingerprints never fade from the lives you touched. And you always ought to leave an everlasting fingerprint positive on someone's life. And I'm teaching this class, um, and it's like a it's a it's a youth program, and I had the ability to develop the curriculum. And it was a Saturday class for um, inner city students in DC. And we called it SAIL, which was an acronym for Students Adventuring in Leadership. And I taught these kids everything from how to tie a tie, how to interview. The, the, we had a special session for the boys, how to use a banana to put on a condom, right? Like everything you can think of, we taught, right? Because these are a lot of kids that had similar experiences as me. And um, there was one class in particular, we were talking about something. Um, and, and, you know, it was just a conversation of the day. And then I think they were angry about politics or they're angry about life, right? And we were just breaking it down. And I remember ending class and I said, I love you. That was it. That's all I said. You know, I like, I love y'all. I love you. Um, and I just remember a few of the boys in the class were just looking at me stone face. And it was just, it was just one of those moments. It was just, they were like, what? You know, like you love us? And I was like, yes, I absolutely love y'all. And I remember afterwards, it would always be about four or five students and all have gone off to do great things now. One went to North Carolina a one's at Yale. One, I mean, kids doing great things. And I remember afterwards, one of the boys in the little group of compadres said, I've never had a grown man tell me they love me before. And I tell you, I bawled like a baby. Mm-hmm. I cried. And I'm 20 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm 20 years old. I'm a baby myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And You're I just, just remember. Me tear up right now. You know, I, I, I just yeah. cried. Yeah. I just cried. And, you know, and then back to what I told you about my mission and my goal in life. Uh, it, it, it was at that moment when it was cemented for me. And I realized how important my existence is. Not just so much the work that we're doing, just my existence is on the impact that we have on current and future generations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show how much words matter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Those that are said as well as those that are unsaid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how they they shape lives in ways that we just have no idea about. Um, I, I often think about that, too, that as, as black men, um, that we often don't say those words to each other one, uh, enough. Yep. Say, I love you to the people that mean the most in your mm-hmm. life, to, mm-hmm. your, to your friends who you know have been there with you, you know, through everything, right? And who you've gotten to... Uh, you know, admire and respect. I think it's important to share those words. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. Thank you mm-hmm. for that. Thank yeah, you for that. of course. Thanks for the space. It's a heck of a story. Great story. So we want to get at some point, you know, soon into uh, your life now and your pursuits now. Mm-hmm. But let's continue a little bit about um, your experience at George Washington in mm-hmm. D.C. and how that shaped this vision for for where you are today. Can you talk a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, the time that I spent in D.C. Um, will forever be one of the most formative years of my life, right? But just so much happened in that time frame. What, was the time, what years were we talking about? So I was about? there from 12 to 16. I'm a baby. Okay. I'm a baby. Okay. So I'm 12 to 16. I'm 28. 
And so, um, and I've lived in and out of the district since then. I, my office is still there. I make it back and forth, right? So, you know, I got a, a decade basically um, of that, of, of this, uh, uh, this monumental moment that changed the rest of my life. And I had to take a second to pause to think about that. Um, before I left, I was a big fish in a small pond. Running around here in Arizona, I, I was doing some really cool things. I was uh, I was a young I was the go to young or one of the go to young people here in the state. Um, Laddie Kors, former Arizona State University president, tapped a handful of leaders around the state to answer the brain drain question. I was one of those five leaders, and we started a nonprofit. I was the first student in Arizona State history to author policy that went through the legislature and and passed bipartisanly and then vetoed by the governor. And then that received like international recognition. And it was, you know, I was able to really speak about politics and issues at 17 years old, 18 years old. In addition to, um, I was working and elevated real quickly at the boys and girls club. I started as a assistant youth, youth programs support person and became the, the, the associate director of summer programs. And I'm, you know, leave, you know, this is the time when I was in GW, but at, at that point in time, you know, leading things and leading people and learning things at the same time, in addition to being heavily involved in other ways. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm hot stuff. You know what I mean? Like I'm cool, you know, I'm cool. And I'm gonna go to DC and, uh, and rock this ship. Well, I get to DC and I realize that every person that I'm around is doing the same thing. <laughs> And so, you know, it was humbling. It was, I was like, oh, wow, I thought I was cool. And then I realized, well, this person raised a million dollars for some charity. And this person is already doing research on this. And this person is studying molecular biology. And you know what I mean? And so it's, it just opened my eyes. And so, um, and then while it, there were just so many things happening at once. And so not only that was the first time I've ever been away from my family. It's the seven of us. And it's, we, 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 like I said, we are tight knit. It's my, my two grandparents, their three kids. I mean, one of their three kids is my mother. And then my, my brother and I, that's our whole family. We, and we are, we are a unit. And so it was the first time I've, for a significant amount of time I was away from them. Um, I didn't want to put a financial burden on my family. And so I made a promise that I wasn't, my mom, my family wasn't going to pay a dollar on my education. And to this day, they haven't. And so I was already working. I got out there, you know, I literally just walked into a restaurant and I was like, hey, like hire me. And I, I started working like the first week I was out there. I was busting tables on the weekends. I found me a little internship and we could talk about it later that grew into something else. And um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to settle into my new life while trying to manage my old life, while learning all of these things. And so one is being that big fish in the small pond in that first few months I was out there. The second of which is that I moved for the first time ever, I was surrounded by black people, mm-hmm. surrounded by black people. And it, it was it was a remarkable experience in every every sense of the term, seeing black excellence everywhere that I went, but also, I would say the most eye-awakening thing I experienced was when I saw black people in service jobs. Never seen that in my life. Mm-hmm. Never seen that in my life. What did it make you think? It, it, it just, it just, it, it, it brought me back down mm-hmm. to the fact of, you know, I'm, there is a 65 year old, 70 year old male or woman that is cleaning my dorm and they're calling me, sir. And 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 the, the it, it was one of those things where you know the way it just I'm, didn't seem right. It didn't, exactly. It didn't seem right. And so I remember mm. when I got out there, the the people on campus that I actually gravitated to wasn't my professors. It was Mr. Dazi, the bus driver, and Miss Jane, the lady literally who worked a cashier in my uh, dorm. You know. Uh, restaurant hall, right? It was the, you know, the janitor was cleaning our doors. Those are the people I gravitated to because it, it was just something about the fact that they were working class. I wasn't going to school with working class kids. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. The kids I was going to school with, this is the most expensive university in the country, you know, and a lot of them was just paying their way. And so don't, don't get me wrong. There was other ones there that was on financial aid and everything else, but I was with, in a completely different caliber. So, you know, that experience just really reminded me that, Every moment that my ancestors went through to get to where we're at right now, right, 
you know, my grandfather serving in the military and moving his family to Arizona for a better life. My mother doing everything that she possibly could to raise us. Like everything was hit. My brother at the time who was, you know, 13, 14 years old that was watching every move that I made. Every moment hinged on what I was doing. And and then I get to D.C. and the people I'm bonding with are the service workers. They're, they, they see me as some kind of icon because I'm a black kid at this school where they don't see black kids at. You know, when I got on campus, 10,000 undergraduate students. I mean, this is not, a, not an exaggeration at all. Maybe 400 black males. Maybe. I know 400 black men right now. You know what I'm saying? And so it was, it, it was such a rarity that um, that first year... That first year, when you talk about that experience, changed everything for me. And so um, it set my pathway of how I was going to work. It set the pathway of all the things that I was doing as well. You know, I didn't go and run to the the hill to get an internship. You know, I ran to get a job so I can finance my way so I can live in this yeah. city. And that opened up doors for me. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. it completely changed my perspective. Um, and then the last thing I add to that, and I don't want to keep, you know, be so winded on this. But the last thing I add to that is that... Um, it, it it really ingrained in me the value of hard work. You you're taught, you know, you work hard, you know, you go get ahead. But I came from Arizona schools. We're 49th in everything. My writing was subpar, you know, I basic math principles. And I was in honors classes, AP classes, you know, like I was excelling here. But I get out there and I didn't even know how to take notes. How they, I mean, they were, I was learning stuff from my peers. I'm like, what, what is it? Like, how, you know? And it was so, like, hard work, not just, you know, economically, which I had to find a way to do so there and socially just to fit in. But in the classroom, I had, I every day I had to work four or five times as hard because I didn't have the tools that, you know, my, my peers inherited. And so it's just that, that you know, you got to want it more than you want to sleep, more than you want to breathe, more than you want to eat, more than anything. That was really entrenched in every, you know, every action that we took. You know, I think hard work is something that is, um, you know, we talk about it, DJ and I talk about it all the time, about hard, and there's nothing easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what most people, or a lot, I shouldn't say most, but perhaps a lot of people, what they don't have experience with is actually seeing hard work in action. Like mm-hmm. literally seeing what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to put your eyes on. That's true. The, the 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 meaning of hard work mm-hmm. in a context where you know exactly what that feels like, uh, you can see it, you can experience it, and you understand the ramifications of it, right? Because mm-hmm. you know that without it, you don't get to the other side, right? You don't put in the work to catch up, yeah, to 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 bring your 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 level of skill to meet your peer group, yeah. You, know? you don't you don't. Get to the other side of that to really complete your education the way that you needed to, right? That's a valid that right there. I think um, that that's a whole book. Mm-hmm. That is a whole book because you think about it. Everybody knows somebody who's super successful, right? But they know them as successful. You know, you don't see the moments that it takes, and and you know, whenever you're ready to right. shift, you know what I mean. It, I know. I know. Yeah, exactly you see it like, you oh, you got the bins. And you make you all the, these yeah. assumptions about, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, how like, they had it or how they got mm-hmm. there or how they grew up. And then you have no idea. Talk about it all the time. Because I think, you know, there, there's this, there's this, 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 we are such, the culture now is so like, right now, mm-hmm. has to happen in the moment. And I think what is missing oftentimes is that what it took mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. build, to create, mm-hmm. all the time you spent, like the time you spent Think about getting your doctorate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all the hours you poured into that, mm-hmm. you know, with your cohort. Mm-hmm. And, and the you know, you, you talk about, you know, you started out with X number and you, next thing you know, there are only yes. of, you all, of you all there. That's because the work was really hard. Yes. And yeah. What you had to do to get there was just really, really, you know, you had to focus on it every single day and you had to focus on what was in that moment, not graduation. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah. you know, down the road somewhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and let me ask you this question yeah. too, Jeff, because I, I mean, you're hitting on so many things, man, that I think are critical and that our audience needs to hear. Um, you talked about, you know, being in your dorm room mm-hmm. and seeing that 65 year old, you know, brother or sister and mm-hmm. you know, what your mind went through. And I, I can relate to that. Does how you feel, has how you feel about seeing that 
now changed? No, absolutely not. Because uh, that 65-year-old person that was cleaning my door and was serving me, that's my grandma. You know what I mean? That was That's my grandfather who worked tooth and nail in the jobs in which they have so that I could be in that position. So the way that I saw it then and the same way I see it now is whatever they are doing, they are working tooth and nail to provide for their family. You know, to create opportunity so that their kids can be in this position. And I mean, it's just, I, I sit back and I think about it. You know, my, my grandfather's the hardest working man, hardest working, back to that hard work, hardest working person I've ever in, uh, witnessed. And I hear stories about, you know, when he was working three jobs, he was working at the post office, he was a janitor and doing something else so that, you know, my grandmother and my mom and my uncles could have the best life that they yeah. can have, you know. And now I see him and he's well acclaimed and, you know, he has that, that gravitas to him. But, you know, what what it took to get there. And my, my grandmother, my grandmother's a cafeteria worker. She worked with kids. I mean, she, you know, like a service worker. Nothing glamorous about that. Nothing. Nothing absolutely. That. My grandmother works harder physically probably anybody I know, anybody I know in our late 60s, right? And with that being said, the work that she does and how excellent she does it taught me, you know, about, you know, how, how, how no matter what you're doing, you do it to the best of your possible, your ability, everything that you're doing. So back to the people that I, you know, the, the, the individual GW, right? Individual in DC, the bus driver, whatever it may be. There is a story that is associated with everything that they're doing. And when I ha- took just a few moments to ask them about their day, ask them their name and, you know, tell me a little bit about your life. The one reoccurring theme was, you know, I'm, my, my, my kids are at home. I want to make sure that they get X, Y, and Z. You know, we're doing this for the family. You know, I can retire in a few years, but I'm not going to retire until after so-and-so get through X, Y, or Z. I mean, I can just tell, it's the same story. You know, it's the same exact story. And so I, I got to tell you now, I, um, that, you know, there's a, there's a mantra within the campaign that there is no job that is too high or too low for me to do. Um, and, and that goes for everybody across the, across the, uh, across the campaign, across the organization, but no job too high or too low for me to do. And, and, and right now it says my name on the wall, but at any point in time, that can be anybody else's name. And so what we're doing is we're building something for the collective. We're building something that we can pass on. We're, this is, we're building generational wealth. It may not be in terms of dollars and cents, but we're building an organization that is that is that is capacitating folks so that they have real life skills, whether they use it in politics or not, but they have real life skills that they can transform. It's an externship. You know, we are we are building leaders um, and, and, and leaders of all walks. Right. Leaders of color. Right. Leaders with disabilities that, uh, you know, in other places might not get the same chances they get with my campaign. But we go, you know, it's because of that work ethic. It's because of what we're building. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, I can win, lose, draw this election. I know that we're leaving a positive mark, you know, not just engaging folks, but. Even internally, we're building a workforce of individuals um, along the way that's going to be able to contribute and have values associated with the work that they're doing. You know what I'm going with? Absolutely. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah. yeah. So so speaking of the campaign, um, let's talk a bit about why you're running for mm-hmm. Congress. Like, mm-hmm. Why is that important to you? Why? Um, obviously, you've got a you got a, a long road ahead of you in terms of opportunity, <laughs> which you could be, you could yep. be doing a lot of other things in life, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and we should probably at some point talk about your day job, but <laughs> in terms of going to this, um, to this space in the political sphere, what, mm-hmm. what's driving you? We need leaders at every level of government to deliver for the American people. It's as simple as that. You have folks right now that are working to undermine everything we've worked so hard to protect and preserve. We have folks that are working to destroy our democracies. You have folks that is that are working every single day to deny Americans, Arizonans, their basic human rights, their basic, you know, just the basic necessities. And, and when you lay it all out on the table, my community poured itself into me. It is my turn to step up and pour myself into my community. And this is the most impactful way that I can do so. And I know that when when I am there, knock on wood, when I am there, I'm going to give it my all. I can be a one-term congressman, but I'm going to give it my absolute all for the betterment 
of the Arizona people. Awesome. You know, and that we we live in times where we need leaders that are going to prioritize civility. We live in times where people are going to look through the divisiveness of of the everyday, you know, mundane conversation and actually work to identify real solutions. You need people that are going to unite and build bridges and not build walls or build barriers. And I know, you know, I walk into this knowing that I'm not going to be able to solve the world, but I can do everything possible to solve my world and help my world. And this is the way that we can do so. And, and, you know, not to go super political, but, you know, we're leaving so much on the table to deliver for the people of Arizona. Um, And we need a leader that's going to stand up and fight for that. What's the hardest question you often get answered on the campaign trail? What do you, what do you, what's the toughest question that people are asking you right now? Oh gosh. Um, the, the toughest question that I'm getting, uh, on the campaign trail right now definitely has to be, how do you engage the, the apathetic? You know, how do you engage people who are disillusioned? How do you engage people, you know, that are just feel like their, their government has forgotten about them or left out and left behind? Um, and the number one answer that I give and is <laughs> sounds cliche and it sounds, you know, um, it sounds like I'm pulling this out of a fairy tale, but she, we have to make them believe again. Mm-hmm. We have to give people something to believe in. And that's a core theme of this campaign. I'm not running against anybody. I'm running for Arizona. I'm running for the people. I'm running for the issues that matter most. And if we just simply change the narrative about what's important, you know, we can otherism all day. Well, you know, it's because they're bad. It's because it is. It's because of that. It's because, right. People don't want to hear that. People got bills to pay. People got kids to raise. They don't care about that. People want to know what can you do to help me? How can you make government better? How can you make our lives better? And that's what we need to remind people. Just remember that, you know, everybody remember how we felt in 2006, 2007. You know, when we saw hope plastered everywhere, it was because for the first time in a generation, we were running for something and we were collectively moving for something. And we need to get back to that. We need to re-inspire folks to believe again. Um, our, Our democracy is the greatest experiment in human existence. We actually have a system in place when functioning properly that is effective and efficient. But we need people that are going to be the cogs in the wheels to make sure that it's moving in the right direction and not clogging things up or throwing bombs just for the sake of throwing bombs. Um, and so I got to say that definitely. And, and, and you know, the to other side of that is when, when we lose elections and we being whoever you associate with, when we lose elections, it is likely – the result of the apathetic. It is likely to, you know, you don't lose elections because, um, you know, because you ran a campaign, bad campaign. I mean, yes, you do, but you lose elections because we, we have, you know, 20, 30, 40% of the eligible population that can participate, participating. You know, we have a significant portion of folks staying home and we're not bringing that diversity of thought to the conversation. So I moved here just over two years ago. And, you know, there are some wonderful things about the state and in the metro area that obviously brought me here. Mm-hmm. But I was also sort of amazed at some of the things you talk about, the 49th ranking in education. Mm-hmm. Um, affordable housing is becoming an issue. Um, some voting rights scenarios out there that mm-hmm. are not necessarily pointing in the right direction. And there's a lot for you to think about in your campaign. What are the core tenets Mm -hmm. of your campaign that you think are really going to help move the needle once you're Mm -hmm. in office? Mm -hmm. Thank you for asking that question. Um, Number one is to uh, protect our democracy, period. Our vote is the most sacred treasure that we have vested in us. And when we can have a system where everyone can participate, a lot of those issues that you just named go away. You know, the, a big part of the reason why we don't elect lawmakers that are pro-education or, or, you know, that is going to identify solutions that's going to fix the system is because it's more economic advantageous for the system to be, be broken, you know, and, 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 to bit, and to limit people from participating in that that is going to get them out of office. So number one is to protect our democracy. Number two is to, to invest in education 
and not just throw dollars at the problem, right? But to identify creative solutions that can move us forward. I'm the president of the longest running Head Start in the state of Arizona. I get the honor every single day to serve in this capacity. I'm a Head Start kid myself. Head Start is an early childhood program, but it's not an education program. It's an anti-poverty program to mitigate the issues of poverty. Mm -hmm. And so how do we create more solutions like this at every level, not just in early childhood, but in the K-12 system, partnering with our institutions of higher learning and in workforce development opportunities so we can get people back to work. The third most important here is healthcare. Every Arizona deserves the right to have access to healthcare, period. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. We need them. And then number four, we need to grow the economy. We need to grow the economy so that we can generate more avenues for individuals to develop wealth. That's supporting our small and local businesses. But back to what you highlighted, it is creating avenues for folks to get into that first home. The number one avenue for creating wealth in this country is getting into that first home. You know, and if you're 45 years old before you become a homeowner, I'm fortunate. I became a homeowner in my early 20s. I got really lucky and I was really good at negotiating. But not everybody is that fortunate, right? And how do we create more opportunities so that you can get into that first home so that you can start laying that pathway? Number five um, is simple but important, and it's investing in our infrastructure. Our infrastructure not only is going to create jobs here, but it's also going to set us up for the next century. We need 21st century climate resilient infrastructure. We need to identify ways that is going to protect our environment in the process. We need to build schools for modernized learning, hospitals for modernized care, and so on and so forth that go along with that. And, and, you know, I can get started on high-speed rail. I can talk about all the things that go into that. And then the last piece of this is none of this is possible without a comprehensive, sustainable plan to mitigate climate change. Arizona has the worst air quality in the country. Arizona's running out of water by the minute. And we need leaders that are going to be on the front lines to do so. And we can, we can answer multiple problems at the same time. The sun is the most powerful resource that we have access to that we're not capitalizing on. How do we make Arizona the solar capital of the world? Take it a step further. Every solar panel that's made in this country, in the world, needs to be stamped and made in Arizona on the back. How do we create, you know pro-climate jobs in the process and develop an industry around it. And so, you know, it's really being creative, being innovative, and having a willingness to work with people. We're creating bridges, not barriers. Who you say right now is being really receptive to your message? I mean, I know the district that you're uh, you're seeking to represent, are you getting into people's homes? Are you having those conversations? Yeah. Who are, you, who are you spending most time with right now? I am talking to everyone. So no one's off the table. Sure. No one's off the table. But um, I would probably say um, it's the unlikely allies, believe it or not, when you talk about like most receptive. So I, I don't hide the fact I am a Democrat. I am running for the Democratic nomination. I talk to Democrats a lot. Right. And there are some in my ideological space that love what I'm saying. There are some that say I could do more. Right. Um, and so we, we, I work along that. But it's the folks that are Republicans or former Republicans that are principled conservatives, but don't agree with what's happening right now in the Republican Party where I'm finding a sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that it, it, I, I, and, and I, I don't mean to make this as, you know, as simple, you know, as I'm making it. But, you know, when you talk about traditional conservative principles and you talk about the economics associated with it, you know, I'm not somebody that's mad at you because you made a dollar. Mm-hmm. I'm not. You made a dollar. Great. I'm proud of you. What did you do and how can we leverage that to pass it on to someone else? Mm-hmm. And folks understand that that's my approach to this. It's for us to have a collective society that works together, regardless of where you are, um, no matter what it is that you're doing, no matter what zip code that you're working, you're living in, you're working in, you're retiring in, whatever that may be. And so when I talk about real basic principles that are going to move us forward, but also be supportive of folks wherever they may be in their life or it is that they're doing. And I, I, it's just been, it's been amazing. I mean, some of the best conversations I have are with folks that 10 years ago would never have agreed with me, Right. 20 years ago would have, you know, would have, would, would have never thought that I would be someone that, you know, based off of their ideological principles would be someone that we would probably be aligned with or talking with. And so it's, you know, how do we, how do we come together so that we can be together and so that we can unite and move forward together? And that's been, you know, just a great avenue for us uh, here on the campaign. You know, I think ideology evolves for people as they move through life and it just depends on what stages you're in. Uh, but I think the common thread though, is that thread of 
equality, that threat mm-hmm. of equity, that threat of opportunity. I'm like I'm, I'm a capitalist too. I love capitalism mm-hmm. because um, you know this country is is the greatest uh, in the world when it comes to uh, invention and creativity and disruption and, and providing new means to do things in life. Right, um, but everyone needs to have access to that. Yes. And so I think the more we have opportunity for everyone to be able to do that, the better we are as a society. And I think that the more people who subscribe to that, and I think as you get, uh, I would like to think as people get older, that that view tends to to broaden and have mm-hmm. that, that same appeal. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, the, it is difficult these days to be able to have that conversation where people actually hear each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, the idea that we, <laughs> it's so funny, you know, you, you the idea that where we were, 50 years ago was a great time in life. Mm-hmm. And my question always is for who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I want to, I want to add to that and, and piggyback off of something you asked me, DJ, about a half an hour ago about that uh, janitor. Right. Um, and, and back to how all of this impacts my life. I want that janitor. I want that service worker. They have the same opportunities that the president of the university has. Mm-hmm. The same access to health care. I want their kids to have the same access to education. And I'm not trying to take from the president. You know, it's not, we don't have to rob Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, exactly. Right? It, 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 we, we, like you're saying, that equity, right? The, the opportunity, you know, opportunity is, you know, talent is distributed across lines. Talent is distributed equally. Opportunity is not. And that's what we have to focus on. It doesn't mean we're all going to have the same or have access to the same. I mean, we, we want the access to mm-hmm. the same, but it doesn't mean that the end result is going to be the same. We Everyone doesn't have the same aspirations. That's in life, exactly right? right. But it means that if you have the interest, the opportunity should be there. For That's, you. Right. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. So you mentioned um, earlier, <clears throat> before we started being an athlete growing up, what role do you think athletics and your athletic prowess has played in some of your success that has nothing to do with athletics. Is there a connection? In oh, your, in fully, fully. Yeah. I, um, regardless if you're athletic or not, I, I, or, or have a desire to be athletic. I often tell folks, play a sport of some sort, play a sport, even if it's just kickball, play a sport of some sort. Cause it just, there is something about the fact, two things for me, there's something about the fact of relying on someone else for your success that changes how you engage and how you do things. You know, when you're playing football or basketball, you need your your colleague, you need your teammate to carry mm-hmm. their slack so they're not, you know, hitting that corner three, you know, and, and you got to bust your tail to get down court to set up the play. Or football, right? If you're not running your route or that lineman's not blocking or the snapper's not snapping the same way and the running black's in the wrong spot, you're uncoordinated. And so, you know, it's the fact that um, success can easily become individualistic. But when you look at it as a collective, you know, the old proverb is true. You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. And I mean, that is that is just so true, you know. And then the other piece of it is um, just the pure grit that goes into being an athlete. Mm-hmm. When you are exhausted and when you are, you know, just at when you think you've reached rock bottom and you got to go run another 400 yards. Or, you know, when you're on the track field and, you know, you, you miss that hurdle and you got to go make sure, you know, you got to go hit it again and hit it again and hit it again. And when you, you know, it's, it's something about digging deep, just dig deep, you know, pull the chains, as they told us when we were on the, on the track field, on, on, the, on the track, just pull the chains. When you, it's something about digging deep. I, I often say this on several different speeches that I give, um, and it's that your, your capacity to meet a challenge you, you know, I, I often say um, um, uh, your capacity to meet a challenge is limitless, right? And every time that you think that you've met that, measured that capacity, you know, you look up and you'll be reminded that you can keep going. And when you think about that, um, the one thing that sports teaches you is that you can just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and you find new depths of yourself. I, I think that's the biggest thing about mm-hmm. sport is you find out what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I couldn't agree more. So we said we wouldn't put you on the spot and ask you any tough questions, but um, I'm going to veer and ask you what I think is probably a really tough question. 
who's the greatest basketball player of all time. Oh, uh, yeah, y'all gonna throw me out for saying this. Y'all gonna throw me out because I am I am very principled in my beliefs, and this is one of the ones that I don't waver on. Shaq is the greatest player to ever grace the court. Oh, you see, oh, greatest wow. player ever. I'm not mad the at that. Wow. Greatest player ever. Just I mean, just we a couple bullet points. I respect points. it. Yeah. I respect it. I, I, I respect it, but I, I have a hard time. <laughs> greatest player. I have a hard time with a um, and look, Shaq's amazing, <laughs> and um, you know he's a massive human being that changed the way the game of basketball was played in a lot of ways, but. Um, we didn't even let the man explain. Like, see, I told you, like, you, you want to start. You want to start a conversation? There no, it is, I'll right there. To, I, we'll, I will get to Muggsy Bogues. We know that's your guy. I'll say this. I'll say this. Uh, he just, I'm, just, I'm glad you didn't say what some a lot of these young brothers say. I, I would have had to cut the show off. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Steph Curry is greatest. Well, he's a good player. Yes. No, um, here's the reason why. Right. And so uh, I do the only knock that I have. And this is just a, a Jevin thing. Not a not a not holding it against him is that um, I, I'm not a fan of folks bouncing around from team to team. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. look, somebody believed in you. You stick with your team. and But I understand why you do so. So let me just say that. I, let me just add that in there. But every environment that this player entered, he made better. Right. And then that was Shaq's, you know, that was his role. He understood that, you know, every environment he entered, he made better. And just think of it like this. If this player would have just hit a third more of his free throws, he'd be the top scorer of all time. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I'm saying? Just a third more. And so when you talk about just pure athleticism and then you look at him, right, you got somebody who was seven foot, nine thousand pounds. Right. <laughs> and being able to run up and down the court. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, just being. a massive human being. And so and then the last piece of it is, is that um, uh, I'm trying to position this is, is that. I'm trying to say this in the right way, but but Shaq always knew how to be a team player. You know what I mean? And so he always knew how to be a team player. I'm not saying that he was, <laughs> but I'm saying that he always knew how to be a team player. And I think that that right there, you know, you look at so, the, so So if we had to compare him to somebody who didn't, is that why they're not on the list? That, 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 that could easily be one. Because he didn't know how to be a team player. Yeah, he can't be on the list. Uh, no, no, I think that's a big piece of it. But I mean, I just love to do, you know, I think that I think I think the guy just represents an era of basketball, right? That is just that is not just shooting threes and being fancy. I think it, it he represents the 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 the, the nitty gritty, right? Like in your face, like I'm going to we we go get down in the paint and I'm gonna show you how to work it. Like he represents an era of basketball that I don't think that I, I mean name a player that has lived up to you know what he's put out there, right? I would say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, greatest player of all time. That's lived up to what Shaq has okay. put out there. I, you ask, so I would throw <laughs> Kareem out there. I, I would. I think I'm so stunned that he said Shaq that I, I have a hard time even <laughs> even making an argument you, you right now. You know what though? I've never heard anybody what say Shaq. Would he be in your top ten? Shaq in my yeah. top ten? I'd probably put him in my top ten. Like nine, no, maybe nine. nine. <laughs> I, I bet you can make argument. Nine, him in five, nine, nine or five. nine or ten. Nah, come on now. You know what? If, if and he you, didn't play pretty boy basketball. No, he was in, at his pretty peak. He was the most dominant player you've ever seen at right. his peak. Oh, maybe, for yeah, sure, right. yeah, for sure. Um, and some of that got overshadowed because he's playing with cats like Kobe, who mm-hmm. also wanted the ball, right? So I, I'm not fighting that. If if I had said the the best big man of all time, maybe, maybe, maybe still got to get past Kareem. Yeah, you got to still get past Kareem. Yeah. But but I hear y'all. I, I like the creativity. I do too. In, like in, I, I, I like I like where it, it came out of nowhere. You so see, like, you see. Okay. I look, you got to change it up. You got to change it up. I was not expecting that. And, and I like <laughs> I like the all. dimensions that you use yeah, to get there. Yeah, sure, change it up. Team player. Just imagine arguments acceptable. There you go. MJ, your guy. Yeah, hands down. Yeah. yeah. There's not even no there's no question about it for me. I mean, I look. I, I mean, I can't argue with that. Yeah, right. MJ, I will sure. say this though. Um, I had the honor to meet MJ when he was in town just recently. And when he was here for NASCAR. Um, it was coincidence, it was right place, right time, and he sat down and had a conversation with me. And 
I've been around a lot of cool people. He right? was here that. Eric Moses, remember? Yes. They were here Y'all that know same Eric? weekend. Yeah. Oh, Eric, my, Eric's my frat brother. I, I went to, I was yeah. at, uh, when I was in graduate business school. Actually, I actually pledged Eric when I, when I was at That's my guy. Yeah. I met him through e. Charles. Charles. Yeah. 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 So, well, this is not the Eric Moses show, and I hope he listens to this. Yeah. But like, <laughs> We're going to have him on the show. We're going to have you on the show. When he was in D.C., that was when he was in D.C. government, and, and D.C.'s, uh, before he yeah. did the football team and everything yeah. else. Yeah. Like, oh, we can talk about that. But when, when, when Jordan was here in town, um, when you talk about hard work, when you talk about, you know, grit, you talk about determination, we're just talking, just shooting the breeze. There is something about him where he just radiated greatness. I would 100% agree. You know what I mean? Just radiated greatness. And like, it's that right there that I want to inspire in other folks. Yeah. I had the fortune to, when I worked with brand Jordan, our, our mm-hmm. uh, executive leadership team, uh, would be graced with his presence every quarter as we went through a... Uh, That's amazing. Uh, well, at the time, it didn't feel that way. But I mean, it, you know, if you were doing what you were supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and you could articulate that, you'd have no problem. Shrewd man, um, gives credit where it's due, but has no problem telling you when it's time to tighten it up at mm-hmm, the same time. Mm-hmm. But But what you mentioned is true about him. He radiates his greatness. Without saying a word. So is that something that is, now if you want to talk about greatness, is that something that is innate? In other words, it is. is that something that is just in people, right? Or is that something that is cultivated mm. over time? Nature and nurture, huh? Uh, well, I think it's what you said, right? So you you were a track guy. And when you start running those 400s, man, you start realizing things about yourself. Yeah. If you don't run those 400s, you're never going to realize those things about yourself. Yeah. You start realizing I got another hundred yards. That dude next to me looks like he's not tired, yeah. but I'm about to get him. Yeah, yeah. I um, I I am. I fully agree with that. And just just for sake of conversation, I'm just going to provide an alternative view. So um, you don't really agree with that? <laughs> no, no, no. no I'm just, I say it. Look, I'm trying. I'm saying for sake of conversation. I'm saying for sake of conversation. You know what I mean? I want, I want to make sure. To, I want to make sure the, the listeners here, you know, they get they get all fair sides enough, of it. That's enough, how it is. Because uh, I do agree with you on that, right? And like that's the that's the you know like I gotta force myself to be great, right? Like I do, like because mm-hmm. nobody else is gonna be great for me. However, I will say that nurture plays a big piece of it, fair and enough. so I think that you know I do believe that everyone has the ability. Somebody has to unlock it for you, and you know point. when you start talking about and let's just go, let's bring it back home here, right? Let's bring it. Real, real back home. You start talking about generational trauma, right? And you start talking about how, how great black folks are and everything that we can do, right? Uh, for me, I'll just tell you this. My mom poured herself into making my brother and I the best possible mm-hmm. human speaker. Yeah. And I can just I can tell you that 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 right there, and, and this is before I even I know words, and I'm just looking, you know, you could reflect on photos. Something was unlocked early. And I think that, you know, like it was it was born in us, and she, you know, that love that right, you know, was there. It's absolutely. And right. then I think that, you know, that that's how we got to that point where it's like, wait a second, I'm not letting nobody down. Not I'm not gonna down. let me down. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I told absolutely it totally right. resonates for me, man. Cause I tell you, like, you know, black men and their mamas, I mean, you know, look, I've I've got a, a father that I adore. Um, but man, my mom, you know, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it made me think about this morning. Um, I was on my way to the office, and DJ knows this. I think I share this. You know, I'm in the recruiting business, I'm in a mm-hmm. recruiting firm, been doing this business, and, and I practiced law for five years, right? And I've been doing this business for almost 20 years. And I was I, one of my routines is I call my mom on my way to work every morning. And this morning, I was at an interview, I was interviewing a young lady for a role in our organization. And um, so I was telling him, hey, mom, I, you know, I got to run. I got to get in here for this interview. And um, she sent me a text message. I was sitting in the middle of this interview and I get this text message from her that says, make sure that you have someone in the room with you doing this interview so that no one can say that you did something inappropriate or that you did. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm going, did she just send me this text message? Really? Like, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm a lawyer by trade, so I kind of know kind of some things that you should do and shouldn't do to 
to get yourself in a situation. And it just cracked me up. Like, yep. really? She's hey, looking out for you. Did you, you send me this? You know, but it's, it's, it's but that's it. Is, is that that's it? Is that what you say? Yeah. Talking about pouring into you. Yeah. Just to, wanted to make sure. Like, okay, yeah. yeah, I know, but yeah, I just want to make sure. I don't care what kind of degrees I you don't got. Care. I don't, yeah. I, it doesn't matter, right? It don't matter. Doesn't matter, right? Doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and, and I think that is, um, look, I'm not saying it's unique. Uh, to us as people, I'm not saying that at all. I'm sure that every you know, every culture has its way with their um, relationships between you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. mother, son, father, daughter, whatever mother, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call yeah, that. Yeah, right, right, right. But I just think that is something that's super unique and special in a way where mm-hmm. you know they pour into us, or they have. I know from my experience has has poured into me in a way that um, has always made me want to do do my best mm-hmm. and be better mm-hmm. every day. And that's powerful. Yeah. So so as we close, you know. It's been a pleasure, Jeff. And I, I know you're you're a busy man. You got a lot going on, and for you to take the time to be with us is special for us. So we appreciate it. Yes. Um, is there anything you would like to leave us with or ask us before you uh, take off? I'll say this. Um, thank you for starters, DJ Charles. Y'all incredible gentlemen, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of this collective here. I mean, this is just remarkable. Be- best thing I'm gonna do all week. I can tell you that thank much you. right now. Um, I, I would definitely say this. Um, so in closing on my part, um, if you, I, I, I enjoy that we didn't have, we didn't talk as much about the campaign as we, I do in other spaces. We can actually, we actually had a conversation to, to learn about depths of the individual. And I love that. If you want to learn more about the campaign, visit jevinhodge.com. That's J E V I N H O D G E or follow on all social channels at Jevin Hodge. Learn more, engage, send me a note. I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Um, and then for you all, you know, I, I, I would say this, um, for a, a show down the, lo- down the road, right? And I'm, I'm going to be listening in to, I want to hear y'all talk about um, a leader outside of family, right? Or outside of somebody that you grew up with that impacted your lives to just change how you see the world. You, you might actually hear it at two o'clock because our slot well, there we go. There Some, we go. Someone called COVID. Seriously. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, so you see that Charles and DJ yeah, up right, there. Right. So we, that may actually that may give us impetus to discuss I, I'll that. I'll tell you this, y'all. Um, I'm a I'm an avid read. Well, I don't read as much. I'm an avid audiobook listener. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I just love learning about the, the the pathways. You know, the stories. I love people at my core. I love trying new foods. I love learning stories. I love learning about experiences. Um, but I also, you know, when it comes down to success people, success to be defined, right? Everyone has their own metrics. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their own belief of what it is. And I love looking and listening and learning from successful folks like yourself who inspired you. Because I mean that just mm-hmm. that is just one of the coolest things. So I look forward to that one. That, that's that's going to be we one. We may have to talk a little bit about that. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this will not be the last you hear of Jevin Hodge. Um, excited for you and your campaign. Best of luck. We'll be watching and uh, and supporting along the way. So uh, thank you for joining us. And thank you for joining us in the Conscious Vibe. Thank you for joining us. And check us out on tcvpodcast.com. <laughs>